HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the Feed Feed Podcast, I'm speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, get some of their culinary inspiration, and also hear some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be speaking with Gabe Kennedy, aka Gabe underscore Kennedy on social media. Gabe is an acclaimed chef and entrepreneur. He's the son of an acupuncturist, herbalist, and chiropractor, so he's passionate about the power of food as a tool for health and regeneration. He co-founded Plant People, a climate-neutral mushroom and herbal supplement certified B Corp, distributed in over 2,000 stores nationally. He was also named a Forbes 30 Under 30 in 2020. He has shaped menus and cooked his way around the globe with a mission to promote a more communal, green, and healthy world. And just to add on to that, he was an executive chef at Bon Appetit magazine, appeared on HBO's Selena and Chef, Chopped, and also won Anthony Bourdain's competition show, The Taste. So Gabe is very talented, and I'm very excited to be talking with him. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited. (laughs) Me too. So obviously, you have a ton of accolades and impressive things that you've done throughout your career and an amazing mission. But Let's walk it back all the way to the beginning with kind of your family and your upbringing, kind of like where did you grow up? How did food play a role in your early childhood? What is the beginning of this Gabe culinary story? Mm. Yeah, so I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. I was, however, born in um, Portland. And my parents are, uh, you know, incredibly talented cooks, but also just very passionate about food. So, you know, a lot of our life was organized around what we would eat and where would we, we would eat and who we would eat with. And so I naturally sort of had an affinity for food from a pretty early age. I think I really became inspired to cook more frequently and, and sort of um, potentially have it unfold as a career when I read Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential, as so many other people did. And I got my first job um, cooking in an Italian restaurant when I was 14. So I had like asked a friend for a a friend's dad for a favor and he like hooked me up and yada, yada, yada. But um, it was, it was a pretty early kind of uh, experience for me. And then I, you know, I cooked all through high school and then um, upon graduating, I, you know, went to culinary school and we, we can get there later. But I think, yeah, my, you know, my connection to food as this universal language was inspired by my surroundings and being able to sort of realize that food is the most intimate interaction that we have with each other and, or one of the most intimate interactions we have with each other. And certainly the most intimate interaction we have with the environment and the world in the natural world. So, um, I think it's a really powerful tool, a really exciting tool. And because we all engage with it so frequently in so many, um, different ways, the opportunity to promote, you know, 
change or uh, you know positive change is profound, and that's what really inspires me. Awesome. So, yeah. what type of food were you like growing up with? I mean, were you kind of always eating sort of on the healthier side, or and then obviously you went to culinary school and learned a lot more about it? But what were some of your favorites as a kid? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I grew up like with a lot of um, a lot of vegetarian food. Like my mom would make tofu and vegetables all the time. Uh, you know, like a, a stir fry. Um, some of my favorites were like brown rice with a fried egg, kelp powder soy sauce and sesame. Um, my mom used to make this thing called angry red planet, which was, you know, a whole bunch of root vegetables on top of some brown rice with, you know, cubes of, um, of cheddar cheese and peanuts. And like, I don't know, I just, you know, when we were cooking at home, it was, um, pretty clean. But then when we, we also would go out for a lot of food. So there, there's, there's a fair amount of you know, us like going to Indian, going to Thai, going to Japanese, going to sushi. And so I think from a pretty uh, young age, I had exposure to a variety of cuisines. Um, when I was five, we traveled uh, and I lived in Indonesia and in, you know, Australia, New Zealand, um, Hawaii and, and Bali. And the sort of exposure to a variety of foods from that travel at a young age I think kind of gave me uh, a pretty exploratory palette and was, yeah, I guess was like exciting. <laughs> yeah. So you were exposed to a lot, which is, I guess, pretty unique for, you know, a young person, you know, growing up in the States. It's, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not ca that, that casual trips to Bali are not normal. No, I and mean, it's also so not like groundbreaking or anything like that. I mean, I think like we live in a global sort of environment now. And so like, you know, the, but um, maybe it was different like then. I have no idea. But <laughs> uh, yeah. <whatever. laughs> well, it sounds cool. So let's run with yeah, that. Yeah, it was great. It was great. <laughs> I, I'm into it. Still am. Yes. So you said you were cooking in high school. I guess how did you kind of start learning? Were your parents teaching you? Or you just kind of taught yourself and then went to culinary school? Or how did you kind of start picking up some of the skills even at a younger age? Yeah. So I would I would cook with my mom and my dad like almost every night um, that we had, you know, dinner in. Like that was the thing, right? Like whatever was going on, we always would sit around the table and be able to have a family dinner. Um, I, in high school, started taking like I took this catering class and then I also took a class called pro start. So all my years of high school, I had a cooking elective, um, which was cool, which was great. It, I learned a lot, but then I started working in restaurants when I was quite young. I think it was like mm -hmm. early, you know, early high school. Um, really? and I would do that. Yeah. I was 14 years old. So I would do that, um, after school. So, you know, my school would get out at like 3 p.m. or and I would go up to um, the restaurant and I would work until it was later and then find ways to do my homework. Um, yeah, you were hustling. So, yeah, I was hustling. I mean, it was it was interesting because I was so intrigued by what was behind the kitchen door. You know, as a diner, I was like, oh, man, how, how is this being made? What's happening? Like, I love this experience of eating and, and you know, building community and sitting around a table and, like, experiencing these flavors. Like, how cool would it be if this was part of my life? And so when I started working in kitchens, it became, you know, very illuminating to what the realities are. And I remember, you know, being – it was, like, my first or second day, and I spent the whole, you know – you know, a few hours like peeling shrimp and I peeled so many shrimp that I actually developed like an allergy on my hands. I still have it. What? And I, my hands peel whenever I touch like raw shellfish like that um, it, for, at length. And then the dishwasher called out and I was supposed to go then, you know, wash all these dishes. And I remember just like totally breaking down. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a 14 year old kid who was excited to like learn how to cook. And here I am like covered in, um, <laughs> you know, in, in dirty dishes, um, like with rash. my, with like my hands <laughs> peeling and I had no idea how to do it. Right. I there was no system. No one taught me like, okay, you stack the like plates with like, and this is how you put it through the, you know, through the thing. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was really intense, but it was a, it was a pretty important wake up call for me to understand what the reality of cooking is versus just the idea. 
Um, yeah. And at that time, right, there was no social media. There was no, like, you know, maybe the Food Network was just getting going. So the idea of being, you know, a celebrity chef or of, a, you know, a social media influencer, any of those sorts of things were just not on my radar. I don't know if they were on anyone's radar. Um, and so it was really just driven by the love of being able to cook and the energy that was in the kitchen. And so I started, um, that job didn't last too long. The ski season came around. I was like, I'm going to go skiing. And then, um, I picked up a job at a Japanese restaurant, which was the cool, it was like the, the cool kind of, um, Japanese, uh, Hawaiian was the, was the style, uh, in Boulder and a lot of young, like college people would go there. And so I was enjoying working in a different environment like that. And I continued to work there and learned a lot about, you know, fish and, um, Japanese cuisine generally. I mean, I started making by making a whole bunch of rice and then started working the fry station and then the grill and eventually would, um, learn how to cut fish and would, you know, serve people sushi at times, which was probably hysterical looking back on it because I was <laughs> a really young kid. Like, yeah, they're like, thank you. Say, but yeah, it was it was cool. It was really cool. Um, oh, look at that. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I mean, so you were like slicing sashimi and stuff and handing it to people? Um, I would slice, they'd let me slice some, some sashimi for like my friends. But for the most part, <laughs> I was on like the the low tier uh, station. So there's someone who's like, you know, banging out all the, all the kind of more basic roles. And then there's someone doing, um, you know, there, there's sort of, there's a hierarchy within the sushi yeah, bar, yeah. uh, system. Okay. So I was not always at the top. <laughs> Got it. So yeah, you were like for a long time, I was one. never at the top. Um, <laughs> you're like the double a of the double a sports team of the sushi bar for sure. And then there was times towards the end, right. Where it's like, I would, I would kind of, uh, they, they throw me in the deep end, which was really great. But, you mm-hmm. know, there was a lot of really incredible experienced, you know, sushi chefs who had dedicated their lives. And I just felt, you know, excited and grateful to have the opportunity to learn from them. And I think because I was so young that every, the, you know, I was sort of taken under their wing in a, in a sense. Um, which was, which was really remarkable. So then when I went to, um, to culinary school, to the CIA, I had, I was very confident because I had, you know, been sort of trained for a few years in this Japanese restaurant, which is all about, you know, knife skills and fundamentals. And so I I kind of came in with a pretty good understanding of, you know, not only what it was like to operate within the industry, but also a foundation of, knowledge that allowed me to kind of further navigate and go deeper into the curriculum, um, which was, which was exciting. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of heritage radio network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So then you went to culinary school, and I know you mentioned that you had worked at a few restaurants 
in New York afterwards. Mm-hmm. So what was kind of like the range of cuisines? It seems like you've kind of yeah. had your hands in a lot of a variety of cuisines. I have. And I think that that's, that's always, because for me, like the thing about food that is exciting is I'll never know it all. And mm-hmm. it's so universal and it's so exploratory that like, I don't have, you know, this explicit identity with a particular cuisine. I think I'm really excited and inspired by really all cuisines. And and, and the, the foundation of, you know, many of many dishes that we eat um, comes back to technique. And so I, I'm, I'm like a fundamentals and technique driven person. And that's what you, you learn, you know, when you go to school or whatever, but like, then it just becomes working with different inputs. But if you have solid understanding of how to braise or poach or fry or saute or whatever it may be, ferment, then all of a sudden you start changing the inputs and you create an abundance of opportunity for, you know, flavor expression. But um, I worked in, I did a lot of staging. There wasn't that much going on up in Hyde Park, New York. Um, And so (laughs) I did a lot of staging and, that was everything from a restaurant called Crew to the early days of Eleven Madison Park to restaurant oh, wow. Danielle and Blue Hill at Stone Barns, um, mm-hmm. a restaurant called Boulet. And that's where I ended up doing my externship. And so I worked kind of through all of the restaurants that that he had, which was Boulet. There was a, um, a brasserie called uh, Secession. There was Boulet upstairs, which was a little bit less casual, uh, a, a little bit less formal, more casual. Um and yeah, it was incredible. I worked with so many wonderful cooks and um, I worked with a bunch of um, really wonderful, talented um, cooks and chefs and um, prep cooks. And, you know, that was just this really hustling and bustling ecosystem of four restaurants, one on each corner of this, you know, kind of intersection and side street. And um, mm-hmm. I was just in it. Like it was so intense and um, a big growing up moment and learning experience, but, you know, never before had I experienced, um, getting into the kitchen at, you know, eight in the morning and setting everything up and starting sauces and putting the chef's cutting board out and then, you know, scrubbing the kitchen at two 30 in the morning just to do it all over. And so I, I, I kind of quickly realized that as exciting as this is, perhaps, you know, I'm not going to be self-actualizing in this kind of environment. And so I made the decision to go to Cornell to the hotel school, which was probably like probably the single most transformative, um, you know, kind of decision up, up until, uh, you know, up until that, that moment in my life, like it it really opened my eyes to understanding hospitality and service in a broader Mm -hmm. context and realizing that, you know, there's so many, the service industry is so vast and the ways in which we can participate in it, um, there, there are many different ways we can participate in it. And, the opportunity therefore to like kind of navigate it and make it your own is really exciting. And so that really sparked my, you know, my uh, desire to be an entrepreneur and to kind of carve my own path. And from there forward, I really embodied um, or I tried to embody that kind of entrepreneurial spirit as much as I could. Awesome. Yes, that sounds pretty uh pretty formative. I think I I know someone who went to the hotel school at Cornell and it also like completely changed their path and everything. So I, I yeah. Who knew? Like the hotel school at Cornell was such a transformative place for people to enter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's like it, it creates. You know, you learn a lot about. You can have educated conversations about a lot of different things and. Um, you know, whether that's like the facade or, you know, equipment of a restaurant or hotel or kind of the financing and accounting to the marketing or statistics or public speaking and management communications, like you, you touch a lot of things. And because I transferred from the CIA, all of my elects, the the majority of my electives were taken up. So I really just kind of did the core hotel school curriculum, um, which was, which was great. But when I graduated, I joined this restaurant consulting group. And it was way too corporate for me. So I ended up going and working with my, my best friend um, out in the, uh, in the Hamptons. And we were doing catering and special events and popping all this popcorn for a lot of these events. And then 
sort of identified this opportunity to make a popcorn company. Like people loved it, right? And there was not really much of that on the market at the time. And so we went to go raise money. We ended up getting jobs um, with this private equity kind of guy who's investing in the organic food and lifestyle space, which is known as the low Haas category, lifestyles of health and sustainability. And oh, that hell then, yeah. Love a good that, acronym. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so um, low Haas for the win. And so we Thank ended you. up like, I ended up working out, um, working a, across all these portfolio brands, working on product development and understanding systems and um it took me back to Indonesia to Bali, where we I worked with a coconut sugar and cacao company. To uh, it took me to Pennsylvania, where we were you know creating um, kale chips and raw crackers. Took uh, took me to I mean really all over, and I think it that was like the first moment of understanding CPG and being able to say, wow, food is not just in a restaurant; food is kind of all around us, and. Um, you know, in these packaged goods, in these products and whatnot. And it was kind of exciting. So I, I was doing that. And then um, I was on the weekends, a private chef for for a family out in the Hamptons because I kind of missed mm-hmm. cooking. And it was great. I wasn't getting paid that much. So it was like a little extra cash. And it was a good opportunity to keep cooking, which I really loved. And it was wonderful to take weekends out there. Um, yeah, it was was like a win, win, win experience. And then I got the opportunity to go on to, um, Anthony Bourdain's show. So my friend from, from the hotel school, Beth, um, hit me up and she's like, I have all these people. She worked for major food groups. She's like, I have all these people who are reaching out about, um, these shows. I think you'd really be good. And so she introduced me, um, to, uh, this casting person. And I ended up then quitting, you know, the private equity job and the private chef thing and went out to LA and ended up filming a season of this show. So it was, a, it was a season long and I won it. I and it, it and then it like, yeah, I mean, it's hysterical in that like the, each episode is very long. Like I think structurally there's a lot of work that they could, they could probably have done differently, <laughs> but tightened it up a bit. Yeah. I mean, it's like a two hour episode, you know, it's just crazy. What? Um, yeah, it's crazy. But I couldn't say it, no. Like, where can you find it today? It's on. I'm sure it's on ABC. Or you know, if you put it into Apple TV, it would, it would come up. But I was on the third season, so I think like okay, wh- you know, I, how like how could I say no, right? Like Anthony Bourdain, mm-hmm. this person who got me into cooking that I you know admire and like revere in so many ways, is going to be the main judge. It's his show on on ABC. Like I got to do this thing. So. I did it and it turned out to be really great, but it was, it was definitely an experience that was challenging and different. And I had to be, it was kind of the first time in my life I felt very connected to making it happen. Like I went there just for fun at first. I was like, Oh, this will be fun. Like whatever. If I can kind of just share my perspective and philosophy, like that's a win. And then you know, after I think the first or second episode, you know, making it past the auditions or whatever, so to speak, I was like, oh shit, I could, I could win this. Like, I, I think I really could. And so I became very focused and it felt really great to have such a um, sort of uh, inspiring and, and exciting thing to pursue that felt very right. And so that kind of set me back onto this whole other chef trajectory Um <laughs> which pro- so which proved to be really fun. Yeah. So I, I started, so I, I, won, I was like 23 years old, you know, I was like not yeah. um, super clear chicken. about, yeah, like not really sure. Like, okay, well, what do I, might, what am I like really going to do here? So yeah. I, um, so I started doing consulting at like in different capacities and yeah. um it took me to all sorts of places and I did a lot of work in the UAE <laughs> and it was, you went really, over there. I went over there a lot. Yeah. I went, what? I went over there like a, a ton of times um, for a few different projects and it was just a really great time in my life. I was having a lot of fun and um, you know, I'd like come off of this national TV. It was, it was cool. But I then uh, got introduced to Bon Appetit magazine, the publishing side, mind you. So I then sort of took on this role of creating recipes and doing videos and putting on the events for the publishing side of Bon Appetit magazine. Met a lot of great people. At that time, you know, the 
the um, the test kitchen wasn't like what it is now. Um, right. There was this very clear line between like publishing and 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 um, and the test kitchen. I like ended up kind of spearheading some of like the branded content stuff, which was all very new at that time. Um, I left that role um, and just sort of kept kept it moving. Um, and then I settled at a restaurant group in New York City um, a, a little bit thereafter that I was tasked with turning around this concept that had sort of lost its way, these two concepts that kind of lost its way. And so yeah. I spent what was supposed to be only a few months. I ended up spending a few years like working through this fast casual and this full service concept and kind of recreating the identity and moving more towards a plant centric and plant-based menu and um, really putting more thought and um, sort of attention to the sourcing. And that was the first time I was truly putting out my food into the world in like masses. I mean, we're serving thousands of people every day. Um, and I was really proud of it, but I think that what was really kind of profound is being able to recognize and acknowledge like how powerful purchasing behavior is. And so one of the things that I'm incredibly passionate about is regenerative agriculture and what that means. And I, and I first started getting into it when I would taste these foods throughout, you know, my, my career, my own career and be like, wow, this carrot is just insanely delicious. Like why? Um, and most of the time it was because the way in which it was grown, right. It had really rich, fertile soil. Um, farmers were taking care of it. It was filled with nutrients and therefore with flavor. Um, and those characteristics were really embodied in this regenerative organic agricultural system. And so as I started plant people, which was after, um, that New York city as the director of culinary, um, I was like, wow, good food is good agriculture. Why are, you know, good supplements are good agriculture. Good, good functional food is good agriculture. I get it all starts with what's in the soil and, um, sort of have applied that to plant people, um, in really every facet. And so I think it's important to establish what regenerative organic agriculture is, which is a system of agriculture where the real intention is to nourish the soil as much as it is as it is to nourish the plants, the insects, the watersheds, the waste streams, the people that are involved with these agricultural systems. And so how do we empower and support all stakeholders, not just not just necessarily the shareholders um, in the system? And what we end up seeing is increased microbial diversity in the soil, which is really critical. And we can kind of go down that route of, um, you know, what is happening in the soil is reflected in our own microbiome. And I think there's a lot of important things to recognize um, there as far as human and planetary health. But, um, you know, it, it, it is just this holistic system that I think can protect against and empower us to have an actual future when it comes to food and food systems. Mm -hmm. There's only, you know, 55 harvests at this point left on all of the, you know, the farmland in, in the world before we have completely um, extracted all of the nutrients and the ability for it to actually grow food. Um, that's a really horrifying thought. And the way that we can actually protect against that is through regenerative agriculture and reinvesting our time and attention and um, process into taking care of the soil. And, and I think that that's something people need to know about. And I think it's something that people need to consider when, you know, they're cooking and eating. And I mean, I could talk about this for hours, but it's really alarming and really exciting. And so with plant people, we source from regenerative organic agriculture farms. We're a certified B Corp. We're, we're climate neutral. We don't use any plastic in the supply chain. We have a climate fund where we plant trees, kelp forests, mangrove, coastline fortification, um, and have really tried to kind of add in this impact layer to the DNA of our business so that as we exist and as we grow, we're nurturing not only people through these tools for like regenerative human health, but we're nourishing the planet and the communities through the ways in which we source and how we, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, create product it's, itself. So I think that like, that is, I feel a lot of purpose because we make a lot of product. We touch a lot of people. Um, but it really does start with like individual action. And so I think having, 
people understand what what we can do on a daily basis to kind of promote these systems is where it's going to start as much as it will also kind of come from companies embodying things, et cetera. Oh my goodness. So yeah, I mean, clear out you, my next question was going to be like, what led you to, you know, plant people and kind of, you know, taking this different direction than all the other directions you had been, but it seems like, you know, it kind of all fell into place in that way. So I guess my next question is, so obviously this is your, this is your work. This is your passion. It's, you know, amazing to hear you talk about it and kind of learn about this whole facet of sustainability and that type of farming as it pertains to food. So I guess how does for you, Gabe, just mm-hmm. little old you, how does this work as it pertains to your diet? I mean, I know yeah. you're, you know, you're plant forward, but is this, how does this look on a day-to-day basis when you are actually eating and making yourself dinner and for your friends yeah. and family, like how does this look day-to-day for you? So I think, and I would love to also answer your other question because I think it ties back to some of the earlier things I was saying, but um, how does, how does it look for me? How does um, sort of walking the walk look for me? So I think yeah. it's important to note that like I do eat most things. Um, there are a few things I try to stay away f- from, particularly if I know that, you know, an animal protein is um, kind of part of the factory farming system. Mm-hmm. I also realize that the things that I'm saying are rooted in, in, in some inherent sense of, you know, uh, uh, privilege that like I can invest, you know, take the time to go to the farmer's market. I have access to a farmer's market. I have, um, you know, the dollars to be able to spend on that kind of food. Um, cause not every person or place has that opportunity, but I think that the, the, the kind of quick and dirty for me is that it comes down to if possible. And if you have the opportunity to buy local, buy seasonal, and by organic and by predominantly plants and thinking, think of creative ways of being able to potentially incorporate other animal proteins if that's what you want to do, but don't make it the center of the plate. So those are all things that are pretty um, kind of obvious. I think we've all probably heard it, but there's reasons why that matters. Um, you know, local means we are buying and supporting local economy. We have the opportunity to create relationships with those purveyors who, and if you haven't spoke to farmers are the most interesting, passionate kind of quirky, fun people that I I speak to. Um, It's really hard work. And so you do it because of the love. You don't do it because of the money. Um, What's your experience with the, with those farmers? Well, this goes back to what I was telling you about when I was a TV news reporter. <laughs> I lived in Wisconsin for two years as a TV news reporter. So I was mm. in like rural Wisconsin and it's- um, That's wild. Probably, yeah, probably very, obviously very different type of farming than you would be used to in California. But, you know, a lot of corn, dairy, um, what else? They do a lot of like soy out there. Um but yeah, I mean, I had never, I grew up in like major metro area of Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. So I had right. no experience in such like a rural place in my life until I moved out there as a young little TV news reporter at age 22. Mm-hmm. And yeah, spent two years there, like having to learn about everything and how like weather and seasons and all this kind of affected these farmers bottom lines. And then there was also right. like the deer hunters and so many other aspects of right. the area and, you know, the deer hunting was to contain the overpopulation and the same with sturgeon spearing and things that mm. I had never heard about in my entire life. So I did right. meet the farmers out there. They're very nice and it's very interesting. And if you have no experience with it, it's kind of a lot to take in, but you're totally right. I mean, they all, they're like family businesses. They are barely, you know, they're getting like pennies on the dollar for hundreds of pounds of corn and other products that they're giving. So right. I totally get where you're coming from there for some strange reason I do know about what you're talking about. So, so, I mean, and I think that's really interesting, right? So, you know, what most of the agricultural system exists of is commodity farming, soy, corn, wheat, et cetera. That's very, very different than, you know, the vegetable kind of farming that you would most often experience at, um, 
a farmer's market. And so that commodity agriculture, you know, system is really um, rooted in monocropping and herbicides and pes- pesticides and, and insecticides like glyphosate and neonicotinoids. glyphosates, you know, carcinogens that are commonly known as Roundup. Um, neonicotinoids are insecticides that are, you know, responsible predominantly for colony collapse disorder or the disappearance of our honeybee and pollinator populations, which important to recognize are, you know, supporting, you know, about two out of every three bites of, of food that we're taking if we're eating a predominantly plant-based diet. So um, really, really important, right? And those systems are working yeah. against us. That's why it's more, that's why kind of what I led with is, okay, buy local. You know, a lot of the people showing yeah. up to your farmer's market are local farmers. A lot of that land, whether it's certified organic or not, is going to be tended to in a different kind of way, right? Through a biodiverse selection of crops, through, you know, low impact farming systems, like, you know, minimizing tillage, et cetera. Um, and also just, you know, kind of obviously you're minimizing transport. And so instead of, um, buying, and this goes to the kind of seasonal point, right? Instead of buying grapes out of season that are coming from Chile and, they have to get there, right? There's like consumption that makes, you know, to, to get something, you know, a quarter or halfway around the world, um, you know, you're, you're eating with the seasons. And I think that as a, someone who's interested in food, I mean, what an, an incredible experience to change up the way you cook and you eat with the seasons. Not only is the stuff that you're going to get like taste much better because it's in a peak season, it also kind of flexes different muscles. And I think most oftentimes will also sort of speak to what is most needed at that season. Right. Um, so that kind of goes towards this other kind of more metaphoric, uh, philosophy that I have on food. But I do think that if there's something that little old me does, it's tries to buy local, tries to buy seasonal, tries to buy organic if possible. The organic piece is important in that, you know, it is really one of the only standards that we have to understand what kind of agricultural systems are there are. A regenerative organic um, seal of approval, if you will, and which is now becoming a thing through Rodale Institute um, is even better. But, you know, less than, I don't know, it's like, far less than 1% of all farmland in the United States is actually certified organic. So there's really? a huge amount of upside and potential. And what is that? Like what moves the needle? It's money. So if anyone can agree on making a change, it's because it's going to be financially beneficial supporting right. those systems and demonstrating demand for those certifications will help move the needle in that way. So that's the other thing. And then the last thing I would say is there's two more things that we can touch on, right? One is if possible, um, grow your own vegetables. It could be herbs. I mean, mint is like so easy to grow. Rosemary, so easy to grow. Put it in a planter box, put it in a pot, like experience the pace of life when it comes to growing something. I mean, we're in this inundated with technology and fast paced stuff and these videos that are pa 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 and like you scroll and yeah. you like and you click and your phone dings and you're, you know, Slack back and forth, you know, what better way to connect to, I think, kind of the root and the source of it all than watching and engaging in the natural pace of life. And that to me is very much embodied in a plant and watching a plant grow. Then the last kind of bit that I was saying is, you know, just trying to like decentralize meat from the plate. And there's so many ways that we can impart the flavor of meat if you want to still eat it without having to throw a huge steak on your, your plate. Um, right. And we look across cultures. There's so many people who do this so well. Like how do we maybe cook with the animal fat to impart flavor to our vegetable? How do we chop it up into smaller pieces? So it flavors and sort of, um, you know, peppers the, the, the dish, if you will. And so you're getting little bits of meat, but you're not like, you know, gnawing on a huge hunk of whatever. So I think yeah. there's creative ways that you can incorporate, you know, non-plant-based proteins into your diet if you so choose. Um, and even those small sort of pivots can have really big impact. Yeah. And so what does a, a dinner look like for you? I, I mean, is that kind of what you're doing day to day? Just kind of like putting little bits of meat in your spinach or like what, what is like a classic meal? Yeah, for you? I mean, I don't, let's see, like what's a classic meal for me. I, I, um, I keep it pretty simple to be honest. Uh, <laughs> like what did I have last night? I stir fried some 
some broccoli. I mean, I was just kind of trying to clean up my fridge, but I stir fried some broccoli and carrots and kale. And um, then I had these, you know, some, some noodles and I, you know, I um, kind of made like a like stir fried noodle dish. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was good. I mean, it was good. It was, it, it was, it was solid. It wasn't like my favorite thing that I've ever eaten, but yeah, you weren't like, you know, you weren't like presenting that at 11 Madison park, but it was, it got no, the job but done. it was good. And I, <laughs> I enjoy like, I, you know, I eat a lot of salads. Um, I think that salads are great. I love making sauces and dressings. And so, yeah. you know, I think that that's like why you go to a restaurant. That's why you like that's what makes it super special is the sauces. So I, I yes. fancy myself a sauce guy. Like I'm here for Ooh. the sauce. Um, and, you know, cause you can go get the same vegetable. Like you go to the Union exactly. Square, like you're getting the same vegetables that, you know, most of the, oh, the yeah. fancy restaurants in New York. That's are, where they all go. Yeah. You're just like, what's the difference? It's like method of preparation and it's sauce. So, yep. um, Ooh, I can get behind the sauce idea. I need to, I need to up my sauce game. Are there like a couple that you like are your favorites or like maybe like, sure. know, like chili yeah. oils or marinades that you always fall back on? Yeah. I mean, I do like a lot with tahini. I, I, I think it's like a just deliciously rich, um, sort of, uh, you know, base for sauce. So you can make it, you know, sweet, you can make it spicy, you can make it herbaceous, yada, yada, yada. I do a fair amount of like pea stew, pesto sorts of things, whether it's, uh, chimichurri or salsa verde or, um, you know, keeping it more coarse or blending it. So it's more homogenous. I have like some interesting bases that I tend to use a lot of. Like I love shiradashi. I, I, I tend to use that often because it's a Ooh. easy way of like imparting a lot of flavor into something quite, quite quickly. Um, but I, I think that like I have gone more the direction, especially when I'm cooking for myself of keeping it simple and trying to place a little bit more emphasis on the procurement of the ingredients. So mm -hmm. if I can go and get, you know, one of my favorite rituals is going to the Atwater Village Farmer's Market on Sundays. And it's not the biggest farmer's market, but it has everything that I really want. And I usually try to grab a different vegetable every week. And, um, you know, when I'm getting produce that is grown with, you know, a lot of love and, 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 and thoughtfulness, sometimes like, less is more. And so simply seasoning it and just cooking it right gives me a really satisfying <laughs> flavor um, or yeah. like, you know, bite at the end. And yeah, it makes it easy, you know? So I, people are like, what's your favorite thing to cook? And if I was going to be honest, I'd say re like recently it's whatever requires um, the least amount of cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, especially once you start getting into like filming all the kitchen content. I mean, I mean, I'm, you know how brutal that gets when you're like trying to focus on, you know, getting good shots and stuff. And then your kitchen's a disaster and you're like, whatever, I'll deal with it after I get the footage and it's light out. Yeah, so, yeah. Natural yeah, light can, is a tough one yep, for sure. It can be a doozy. So that, yeah. the cleanup, I totally understand. Well, that all. But especially if I'm cooking sense. for myself, right? It's like, you yeah. know. Like, okay, as much as I'd love to like sear this piece of fish or something like that, if I'm, if I'm going to eat some fish, like, wow, my house is going to smell. I got to clean the whole like great. I'm going to throw it in the oven <laughs> or <laughs> yeah, like wrap it exactly. in some parchment or whatever. But, yeah, let's um, call it but, I, but I, but I do think that like, you know, as much as I just think of food in this holistic sense, like as it's not just about cooking, right. It's, it's about enjoying the process of getting the food and like not having it be a chore. And instead of it feeling like an obligation, have it feel like an opportunity to try something new or to be excited or to get out of the house, you know, and then when you're preparing the food, like look at it, smell it, feel it, taste it, touch it, um, listen to it and engaging all of your senses throughout the, the cooking process is for me, very meditative. Like I, I totally black out I ultimately <laughs> feel way better on the, on the end. And it's like, if anything, it's like allows me to sort of escape. And then the process of cleaning, you know, it, you know, it, sometimes it can be arduous, especially if you're tired, but it also yeah. can be just as enjoyable, you know, and this like immediate gratification and satisfaction of starting with something, you know, dirty and then ending with something like, you know, nice and, and, and clean for me is, 
um, can be enjoyable. And then enjoying the process of eating it as well, instead of just like scarfing it down, which is so easy for me to do, you know, engage with the holistic kind of dining experience. And my friend Alan says, you know, it's not just um, what you eat, but who you eat with. And I think that that has always resonated with me because there's ways that we can nourish ourselves and we can be full from not just the food, but the people around us and the environment and the, the, you know, conversation, connection and community that we're building or the introspective nature of just being with yourself kind of, um, and enjoying something. So I think of food as, you know, much more than just food. I think of it as this holistic system that we are so, you know, blessed to be able to participate in every day. And because it is so prolific, there comes a lot of opportunity. And if, you know, you're aware of it, responsibility to kind of help move it in the direction so we can continue to enjoy it for years to come. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's such a beautiful way of putting it. Very, uh, very eloquent and well-spoken. <laughs> Thank I you. I like the, you know, it's not just what you eat, it's who you eat with, which I totally agree with. I love making it, you know, kind of an experience and not just like, mm-hmm. oh, like I'm sad and I'm busy and, you know, I'm watching TV and, you know, I'm not paying attention anyway. I mean, it's totally dinner is my favorite part of the day, so might as well enjoy it, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I totally agree. I also started intermittent yeah. fasting more and like, so I'm yes, not eating three too. meals a day. Like I'm eating, you know, two, one to two. And so whenever yes. I do eat, like it's so much more, <laughs> it's so much more yes. uh, powerful for me. I'm like, oh my God, I missed this. <laughs> I know. Yeah. My family doesn't get it because I do the same thing. I've been doing it for years and now I kind of just don't even really think about it anymore. But I'm like, guys, you don't understand. Like my dinner is an event. This is like all I get till tomorrow. <laughs> you know, yeah. like there's no late night snacking and stuff. So they're always kind of like laughing at me about how big of a deal. They're like, why don't you just have a can of soup? I'm like, what don't you understand? <laughs> what's your, <laughs> what's your feeding window? Like what's your, um, I do. What's your program? Of, it's kind of crazy because I am more of a night owl than a mm-hmm. morning person. You're going to be like, what? I probably eat from like two or three to 10 or 11. Which is okay. crazy. What yeah, about no, you? that's not that crazy. I try to do like because I, I start working. Um, I start work at like seven a.m. every day. So yeah, because you're on that. Place, I, so like yeah, exactly. And stuff. Yeah. So I usually eat from like noon. I try to. I try to do six hour windows. So I'll go like oh. one to seven. Tends to be okay. like the sweet spot for me. Um, I, I'll, I'll be kind of flexible and I, I try, I try to like at max make it like an eight hour. So, you know, 12 to eight or, um, if I know I have a dinner like later, I try to kind of push it and, you know, from like two to 10 or something like that. But Mm -hmm. ideally for me, like I feel maybe the best when it's like a seven hour kind of window. (laughs) Now we're getting really deep into, um, I know. Yeah. So for those who don't know what we're talking about, intermittent fasting is when you, I mean, for me and most people who do the 16 to eight hour method, it's when you don't eat for 16 hours of the day. So for me, I stop eating, you know, on a good day at 10 and then I don't eat the next day till two. So that's 16 Mm -hmm. hours in between. And then you have the eight hours and you can eat whatever you want. Um, There's just usually not a whole lot of time to eat three full meals. So that's why me and Gabe were saying that, you know, dinner is very important because that's, you know, one of just a couple of meals that you when I get to go in, you know, I got to lean in. And I think the the thing to like that I think is important around what for me, what has been interesting about engaging with food in this way is that I am much more conscious of kind of my body's like resilience, my own willpower. No, I totally get that a hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like I used to be so like, if I didn't eat something the second I woke up, I'd be like this huge, like, you know, I'd be like hangry and like such a bitch to everyone around me. And now like when people are like that in the morning, I'm like, what's your beef? Like, relax, Mm. we've got time, you know, like, and it's just like getting so used to that feeling. It's not even like, it's not like you're sitting there starving yourself and you feel hungry and miserable. You just like are used to not, I guess, just like giving in the second that you're like, oh, I want that. Um, You just kind of get more, like you said, kind of the resilience of, you know, okay, like I thought for a second, I want that, but it's not in my feeding window. So let's not. And then you kind of use that like the rest of the day, like I don't need that. Or, you know, sometimes on the weekends, I like to just, you know, I I probably end up intermittent fasting just because I'm used to it now. And I don't get hungry before like one or 2 p.m. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, obviously you kind of reward, I personally reward myself on a weekend. I'm like, Hey, you know, it's, you know, it's Saturday yeah, night. Totally. Let's have As wine. You, should. you know, like, I mean, let's have wine. Who cares? It's midnight. Like, who cares? like, you know, you definitely yeah, have to totally treat agree. yourself here and there, but it is. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I, I I don't, yeah, I'm not like very cut and dry about it. I think there was moments where I was, but for the most part, I'm kind of just like, it's a good thing to keep in the back of my mind. Um, Yes. I'm glad we're on this journey. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very important for us. Uh, (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Gabe, for all your like amazing insights and like, you know, just hearing you talk about, you know, obviously this is something you're incredibly passionate about your, your work and plant people and everything that it is that you do and kind of the sustainability and fundamentals behind the, you know, the farming and the food and how this all plays together is, you know, very refreshing and interesting to hear. I, I was a, I have, I have a minor in environmental policy and culture, lest you know, lest you forget that <laughs> I was wow. journalism major, environmental policy and culture minor. So I used to be, well, I still am like pretty passionate about this stuff, but just never really pursued it in a career the way that mm-hmm. you found yourself into. So my ears do always kind of perk up when, you know, these kind of conversations come up because it's sort of like this old muscle of mine that I kind of forget to flex and think about. Cause I'm just like, you know, Hey, it's, you know, content work media, blah, like I just got to mm-hmm. get all that done and not as focused on kind of the, the whole environmental aspect of things. So it's very um, enlightening totally. and refreshing to talk to you. So I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for hopefully it, it kind of uh, re sparked your, your love for all of the things that you initially kind of explored and studied. I think it's exciting and it's a part of food that is separate from consumption, but really related to, um, yeah, some, some, some important things. So it's exciting to be able to share it. And I really appreciate the opportunity to do so. You bet. Amazing. Thanks so much, Gabe. Of course. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Feed Feed and don't forget to follow Gabe at Gabe underscore Kennedy. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook, author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.